often you go into other dimensions, other realms where you, you know, you see people that have gone before you, your relatives uh, that have passed on, or angels, or if you want to call them that. There's a life review, and it's much more intense, I think, than, than what just a plain old out-of-body experience is like. I'm Greg Rennie. And I'm Rob Reeford. And this is Mind Body Matters. Welcome to Mind Body Matters. This is where we talk about the connection between the mind and body. Uh, sometimes we see things separate, but actually they're very much connected. And a lot of our guests are helping us find that connection and know more about it. And here is my good friend and co-host, Rob. And you are connected between your mind and body. I can tell. I was just I was just going to say that, that today my mind and body is connected. Ah, what, how is it connected? By a cable or, you know, <laughs> are you using, um, uh, fi- uh, what, what do they call that, fi- uh, um, fiber optics? Is it fiber optics or is it just like an old electrical cable? It's an old electrical cable that's holding me together today. <laughs> but no, I'm doing well. And Greg Rennie, how are you? I'm doing well. I, I'm doing very well, uh, in Good. fact. And uh, it, it's just, you know, Rob, it's just so fascinating uh, discussing these topics with guests. I'm having such fun on this podcast. Uh, we met uh, some uh, some friends uh, over the weekend, and uh, we've got that uh, coming up on the uh, show down the road. Well, I was on their show, and, yes. and so, yeah, this time the two of them are going to be, we'll be on, on our, our show. show. Yeah, through yeah. the Glass Recovery podcast, yeah. yeah. Yes, and uh, we met uh, both Steve and uh, Julie uh, on, on the phone over the weekend, and uh, really looking forward to having them on the show uh, here on Mind Body Matters, uh, yeah, it was a nice uh, chat with him and uh, we're all... two great people, and I was uh, I was grateful to have met them. Yeah, yeah, it was a nice little chat to uh, prepare for the interview with these guys. So today we're talking about near death experiences. Came across this gentleman that we're going to be meeting with. Can you believe we have Steve Martin on our show? Not that Steve. Not Martin. that. This sorry, is, guys. Yeah. The, yeah, sorry, uh, not the real Steve Martin, but this guy is actually a real Steve Martin, but yes. not the com- not the comedian. Yes, but, and, uh, and we can joke about it because I've seen him joke about it uh, in, yeah. in, a, in a video. And we all have something in common, too. Yes. We used to all be on radio at one time or another. Exactly. Yeah, he was uh, Stephen Holly Martin is our guest today. And, and Stephen had his own radio show a number of years ago. His knowledge about near-death experiences based on the people that he's interviewed. He's an extensive author, too. Yes. Uh, he, he's written a number of books. Uh, I'll pull up uh, uh, his list of books. Uh, okay. Life After Death, Powerful Evidence You Will Not Die. And then he's got a new one coming out. We're going to talk about that book, too. But he's, he's written many, many books, and I, a lot of it was kind of um, inspired by the people that he interviewed. So, oh, without any further ado, is that how we say it? Sure. That, without uh, any further ado, here's our guest today, Stephen Holly Martin. So you have some water and you're, Got some water. you're ready to go here? I'm ready. You're ready for all the tough questions? I try. I do my best. <laughs> Well, I really appreciate you being on the show, Stephen. Um, you are in Virginia, 
I am Richmond, Virginia, uh, capital of the Confederacy, which is nowadays kind of a unwoke place to be. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it is kind of unwoke, but I mean that's that's the history of Virginia, I guess you know. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful state, and we're we've got beautiful weather today. Blue sky, sunny, little white puffy clouds. Much nicer Perfect. than what we have here in uh, in Toronto. <laughs> it's a little bit cold. Well, as you might know, in our podcast, we talk a lot about the mind body connection and. You're an excellent guest to have to to understand a little bit more about how our mind and body works, but also how other parts of our lives work and understanding what happens when we die, understanding when we have near-death um, experiences. I believe they're called NDEs. Yes, correct. Yes. So when we, from like your perspective and your experience, and you had a radio show and you did a lot of, you know, research into all these mysteries of, of the mind, how, how would you define the mind-body connection? What does that mean? Well, from my point of view and the research I've done, the people I've talked to actually know a whole lot more about it than I I do. Uh, I, I believe that the mind and the body are two different things. The mind uh, is something that is non-physical, that is not really in your body. Your body I believe, is a receiver. Your brain certainly is a receiver of your consciousness. Of It it uh, certainly affects your mind, uh, or the mind-body is a receiver, the brain being what uh, integrates your mind with your body so that you can, you know, use your hands and your feet and walk and talk and, uh, and so forth, and certainly affects how you think because... Because of your how your brain, whether you've got damages damaged onto your brain, or but that really they're two separate things, and that the mind is part of your uh, in religious circles is called your soul. That you come into this reality through your mother's womb, uh, and you you feel like your your body. At least most people do, but uh, in effect, your body is like a a diver's suit uh, that allows a diver to go under the water and, and work and move around there same way and it's it's similar to that that your your physical body is your mechanism for being in and being able to work and play and do everything you do here in this reality but uh, but they're two different types really tell me more about what you said uh mind could be considered the soul very often people would kind of point towards their heart and their in their body as where their soul is but you you you're saying that it's you feel it's more of the mind i yeah i think you're what again religious people would call the soul i i usually refer to it in my books as as your higher self mm-hmm. is a part of you that really stays in the non-physical dimensions and sins uh, probes of itself, pieces of itself out to be to incarnate, and uh, that many people who really study these issues uh, think that from the soul or mind or higher self's point of view, uh, all of its incarnations are happening at the same time. So, really, only a small part of your soul uh, has uh, incarnated in this particular life that you're experiencing. 
Some people estimate around 20 to 30 percent. And uh, I had one gentleman who is head of the Association for Research and Enlightenment in Virginia Beach. That's the society that uh, Edgar Casey founded back in the 1930s. He said, for the way he looks at it, the soul or the higher self is more like the palm of a hand. And each incarnation is like your fingers, although you have lots of fingers because you incarnate lots of times. And what's happening is the soul is evolving. We're here to learn, to experience, to, uh, to overcome difficulties, to learn, and, and that's how we do, you know. And, and uh, what it does when you go back to your, to your home, to your soul, you, uh, all of that that you experienced and learned is integrated into your higher self. But, and that's you. That's you as well. So your consciousness continues. What happens when somebody has an out-of-body experience? Is that, is that different from NDE, like near-death experiences? Yes, uh, and there's some people that, who are adept at that. Uh, one gentleman that I know of is Tom Campbell. You may have heard of him. He's, he worked for many years at the uh, Monroe Institute that's here in Virginia, uh, which was uh, founded by an, an executive from I think ABC or NBC, one of the big networks, founded this institute when he had an out-of-body experience and uh, spontaneous out-of-body experience and, and decided to try to investigate that. And he developed uh, sound called hemisync uh, sort of sounds that facilitate uh, having an out-of-body experience. And you can go to the Moreau Institute for a couple of thousand dollars, spend a weekend, and they'll put you in a chamber and turn on their hemisync <laughs> stuff. And a lot of people, and I know some, who tell me they have had that out-of-body experience from doing that. So it can be induced. Yeah, induced. Um, Tom Campbell worked there for years, and uh, he's had many, many uh, out-of-body experiences and, and has a whole philosophy that he's developed about what reality really is. So anyway... Uh, yeah, the out-of-body experience is not the same as a near-death experience. Well, the United States government uh, had a, a uh, I guess you would call it a unit of the Army that employed psychics to spy on the uh, East Bloc countries during the Cold War. Fascinating. And, uh, and they went out of body to do that. It's apparently very tricky, though, because when you're not in this realm, when you're not in the physical realm, when you leave your body, uh, time isn't the same. Mm -hmm. Time is a dimension of this reality. And uh, when, you, when you go out of body, you could be observing things that were in the past or things that are probably going to happen in the oh, future. Oh, I see. Okay. So that uh, when the unit of the army that had that responsibility, they had to figure out ways to determine when they were seeing what they were seeing. Right. But anyway, I, I interviewed uh, on my radio show, I interviewed the guy who was the head of that uh, unit called Stargate uh, for the army for about 12 or 15 years, and he explained all that uh, interesting 
his name is Skip Atwood. So uh, the near-death experience is more uh, going not just out of your body into this realm of that's right here close to where we are in this three-dimensional, four-dimensional uh, physical reality. Uh, often you go into other dimensions, other realms where you, you know, you see people that have gone before you, your relatives uh, that have passed on, or angels, or if you want to call them that, or guides, uh, ascended masters. You know, a lot of people think that they uh, meet with Jesus or whatever religious uh, figures. If they're, I suppose, they might meet with Muhammad, Muhammad if they're uh, Muslims. But uh, yeah, it's it's a different thing where there's a life review, and it's much more intense, I think, than than what just a plain old out of body experience is like. The near death experiences that I've read about or heard about, it's amazing how similar they are, which kind of gives a credibility that if everyone is experiencing similar things, then there must be something uh, about when we leave our body, when we die. You had a radio show, so you, you interviewed and you did a lot of research with people that that uh, knew a lot about it. But you you actually come from a personal experience in your 20s that you had. I did. I did. That's really what started me on this uh, this quest to figure it out about what was going on. Uh, I uh, was a bachelor living in Baltimore, Maryland at the time, working at an advertising agency. I had a couple of roommates. And uh, there was seemed like on a fr- Saturday night, there was always a party going on at our apartment. And one Saturday night, I was uh, very sick with the flu. I really had a bad case of it. But I heard people come in. It was a two two-floor apartment. I was upstairs in one of the bedrooms. And I uh, heard people come in and, you know, party going on downstairs. And finally, it got the best of me. And I got up, put some clothes on, went downstairs and partook in the party and part of the whole thing. But such it just felt awful. And practically knee-walked back up to my bedroom, flopped down in the bed. It was like uh, my body was spinning, you know, and it was just... I felt my chest was expanding, and I, and I thought I might have to get up and go throw up or something like that. But what happened is I popped out of my body, and, and suddenly it, everything was calm. Wow. There was no spinning, nothing. Was, you know, it was like, ooh, what's going on? And I, I kind of turned and looked, and I saw my body down on the bed, sprawled out like roadkill. Oh, jeez. And, uh, <laughs> and I looked around. I looked up at the ceiling. I could see the little cracks and crevices where the ceiling needed to be painted. And I was up there for a little while, and it occurred to me that I was not my body. I'm here. My body's down there. And it didn't, it, I don't know how long it lasted. Not that long. I didn't go through a tunnel. I didn't have a life review. I didn't do any of those, didn't see the light or any of those things that are typical of an NDE. But it was vivid enough, and it lasted long enough for me to to really change my life in the sense that now I got to figure out what's what's real because I'm not my body. What am I? And that's when I started on this quest. Uh, if you want me to keep going, I'll tell you. I, I joined the Rosicrucian Society, which is a society of mystics that uh, uh-huh. study metaphysics and metaphysical laws. I went through their courses. I went from a 
being a novice to an adept. And I could tell you that the Rosicrucians do know what they're talking about. They, they know, uh-huh. they realize that there's no such thing as matter in the sense that we think of matter, that everything is energy, everything is vibrations, and that we're, we're not separate beings. We're all part of that, uh, that energy and that one awareness that exists. And we think we're different. We think we're separate, but we're, but that's really something that's created by our egos, which are developed from the time we're born till, till, until now. Uh, we're really part of that, all that, that one reality that uh, encompasses everything. In other interviews, they, the guest talks about universal consciousness. Do you agree with that phrase? Yeah, I think that there is one consciousness of which we are come from and are part of that, uh, in effect, I, I'm conscious, you're conscious, but we share that consciousness and that we think we're, you're at Toronto and I'm in Richmond uh, and we're separate, but in effect, there's one mind that we're all, that we're both part of, that we came from, that we will return to. And that one mind is, and that one consciousness is what each one of us is experiencing. It just is an illusion created by our egos and our bodies because we're, you know, feel like we're in them uh, because of our senses. We get all our information through our eyes, ears, nose, touch, and so forth, smell. It makes us think we're separate. And there's a purpose for all that because we, we can have experiences in this dimension, in this realm, that you can't have when you're uh, in that other non-physical dimension. Uh, things take much longer to happen. Uh, one of the things that Edgar Casey said, one of the reasons we're here uh, in this reality is to uh, learn patience because on the other side, whatever we think of happens instantly. Whatever we want or whatever we fear happens instantly. We're here. It takes a little time. So you got to be patient. Edgar Casey was, uh, was talking about all the stuff that we're talking about nowadays way, way back. Am I right? I'm trying to remember the, the, the book that I read, but I read it in the 90s. So my, my memory isn't all the greatest. <laughs> well, what I remember is that he had the ability to pass on into the realm that supposedly we do when we die. So he was able to somehow, uh, in a spiritual way, die, come back and talk about that. That that was my understanding. Is, is that yeah, Is that right? I, from my understanding, and, I, and again, I've I've interviewed a number of uh, people who are experts on Edgar Casey and his his readings, and I'll tell you a little bit about him. Perhaps your listeners uh, might be interested. He Edgar Casey was a simple man who was born in Kentucky in 1877, and he died in 1945. Mm-hmm. And he was known during his lifetime as the Sleeping Prophet mm-hmm. because. Uh, he would put himself into a trance every day, every morning, and every afternoon, and he would answer people's questions. And what he did, and I inter- actually interviewed his son, uh, Edgar Evans Casey, who at oh. the time I interviewed him was 95 years old, and I think it was back in 2007. I interviewed him, who sat in on many of these uh these sessions, and he said that that 
he felt there were a couple of different places that uh, his father got the information. One was that he uh, he could sort of look into or see uh, the individual, say the individual had some sort of illness. He could actually uh, read that person's subconscious mind, which had all the information about why that person was sick or behaving the way they were, and explain it, and then tell them what they ought to do about it. That was one thing. The other thing, and the main source that he used, was called the Akashic Records. I remember reading that part, yes. And the Akashic Records, uh, the best way to describe that is, is, is the hard drive or the cloud of the universe, <laughs> cloud in today's terminology, sure. where everything that has ever been thought, said, done, taken place is recorded. That's a and, large server. Yeah, it's a big one. <laughs> and, <laughs> and in fact, uh, in religious terms, it's called the Book of Life, I think mm, somewhere in the mm-hmm. Bible. But uh, it's all there. And that Edgar Casey would would uh you know go into this trance he'd have a question and it would he, he he the way he experienced it was that he would go into a library and i don't know whether there was a library in there or what would give him the information that he would relate it and the the reason he was became so famous was that he was right i mean one example would be uh somebody had a particular ailment where there was a medicine that was no longer made that Edgar Casey uh, recommended, and and I've forgotten exactly what it was, but what the medicine was. But he, uh, they said, "Well, where can I get this medicine?" And he came back with, uh, "There's a pharmacy in some place in Kentucky, and it's on the, you know, top shelf behind the such and such." And they went, oh my God. and that's where it was, you know, so oh my it, God. It, incredible. But, uh, yeah, Edgar Casey, most of his readings were on health issues. There are 14,000 of these readings that are in, in the library there at the uh, Association for Research and Enlightenment in Virginia Beach at 68th and Atlantic Avenue. I've been in there many times. <laughs> and uh, But a couple of thousand were were more spiritual kinds of things, like reincarnation. And I could tell you that Edgar Casey was a very devout Christian who read the Bible through every once for every year of his life. That was one of his goals. And when he started giving these readings about reincarnation, he stopped for a while because he didn't think that was possible because being a Christian, you know, it's not part of the Christian doctrine. Right. But... Uh, after a while, when he read the Bible through, he saw that, yeah, actually, reincarnation is all through there. They just don't use the word reincarnation. For example, uh, Jesus asked, who do people say I am? And he said, well, some people think you're one of the prophets, and some people think you're John the Baptist. The last prophet died 400 years before Jesus, so if he was one of the prophets, he had to be one of the prophets reincarnated. Another mm. example is that Jesus himself said that uh, Elijah, uh, that John the Baptist was Elijah. But anyway, he finally came around and realized that uh, reincarnation was a real thing. 
And he gave a number of readings uh, where people had particularly psychological kind of problems that stemmed from a previous life. You know, maybe they were afraid of water, so they had drowned in their previous life. You know, that's a simple Oh, I see. So there's a connection. Yeah, there's a connection that's brought forward from that previous life that perhaps one of the reasons you're you're here and I'm here is to uh, expunge that uh, issue that uh, we have in our buried in our subconscious mind from a previous life. There's a great book that uh, was written by a woman uh, called Many Mansions about Edgar Cayce's philosophy on reincarnation, why we're here, what it's all about. And basically, it boils down to what I said before, which is this, we're a school. We're in school. We're here to learn. We're here to evolve. The whole purpose of life on Earth is evolution. And all you got to do is look around and see that because, uh, you know, everything is always evolving, including us. Sometimes we regress, but. <laughs> it's interesting because that that reminds me a lot of Eastern thought uh, regarding karma. It, yeah, I think the uh, Hindus or and Buddhists are probably a lot closer to the truth than uh, than perhaps some of our religious ideas. Sure, seems to be. Let's talk about the common features of an NDE to determine that the person's experience probably fits in with the definition. So like what are the common features and categories and things that are ha- that happen when someone temporarily dies on the operating table and they have a, a near death experience? Yeah, I describe a classic uh, NDE in my book that just came out called Death is Fiction and it's about a woman whose name is Pam Reynolds when she was 35 years old she was diagnosed with having uh, two large aneurysms near the base of her brain where it enters the spine, which were inoperable. And so she was put on the uh, operating table. Um, she agreed that, you know, she was going to die if one of those burst, and it was inevitable that they would. And the only way to operate on them was to actually drain the blood out of her head and so that they could go in and move the brain inside without damaging it and fix the aneurysms. So she was put on the operating table, and she said that she heard a buzzing noise and that she pumped out of her body and was looking down at the uh, surgeon who was operating on her like she was like right over his right shoulder looking down, and that she saw this uh, instrument that looked like a drill, and she was confused by that because she had been told that they would use a saw. She also heard the uh, nurses talking about, uh, you know, this, the, the, this, this is too small, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, those are all things that she repeated when she came back, that there was no way she could have known otherwise, that, you know, what the nurses were talking about, the instrument that the doctor had that she had never seen before that d- didn't look like what she thought it should look like. She says that she felt a tug and she looked and she saw light, speck of light that she felt drawn toward. And she went toward the light and she heard her grandmother calling her. Grandmothers had a very distinct voice call- calling her. 
her grandmother, of course, was deceased, and that she arrived in this place where her grandmother greeted her, and an uncle who had also died, that she had been fairly close to when he was alive, was there, and that uh, she, she spent some time with them. Now, at this point, most people who have the near-death experience, or at least a large percentage of them, have what's called a uh, past-life review. Pam that's Reynolds a common feature. Yeah, that's a common feature. Pam Reynolds did not have the past-life review, but typically what that is, and this is really interesting to me, religions, Christianity, talk about judgment. What the people who have the past-life review say is that nobody judges you. You judge yourself. That you see everything, all the important events that happened in your life, not only from your own perspective, but from the perspective of those who uh, that you affected with your words or your deeds. And oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So that uh, you feel what they felt. And you, which is going to, if if you buy this, it's going to make you want to treat people nice, you know? I bet. Because uh, I, I could tell you one example of somebody who came up to me after a talk I gave uh, at a uh, Unity Church down in Newport News. I, I gave, I, I talked about the past life review. And a man came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I had a good friend of mine uh, had a past life review. And this guy had been in an automobile accident where someone had gone through a stop sign and t-boned him and he got he got so mad he was he got out of the car went over to the guy who ran into him and beat the crap out of him to the point that the guy was permanently disabled from this beating that he got the guy from the guy who had later had a life review and a near death showed up and it showed up in spades he said not only did he feel and experience what that guy felt and experienced and, wow. and went through afterwards, but also all the people who were affected by that, his wife, his children, oh. his oh. children who couldn't go to college because they didn't have the money, the wife who had to go to work to earn money because the husband was now disabled, all of that. So anyway, uh, that's the life review. And usually because... Uh, well, obviously, if it's a near-death experience, they don't stay there. So they usually get to a point where they are told, or sometimes they're given a choice. You, you can go back or you can stay here. But most of them are told, you got to go back. It's not your time. Uh, that was the case with uh, Pam Reynolds, whom we were talking about. And But she said, I don't want to go back. I like it. I wow. like it here. You know? So... Uh, but he, he persuaded her, the uncle persuaded her to go back down the tunnel. And when she got back into the operating room, she saw her body, which she said looked like a cadaver, lying on the operating table. And she saw them get out the, you know, they're pumping the blood. What they did was they drained the blood from her body, but they kept it warm somehow in some kind of machine. And then they're going to pump it back in. And once a Another one gets back in, they put those, whatever those electric things, shock things on to restart her heart. And she said she felt a jump and, uh, and she was back. And it was not a pleasant experience to be back. So I think that covers most of what 
uh, you know, happens in the uh, near-death experiences. The big thing to me is that uh, life review, because if we're going to have that, then you got to think twice about your personal behavior, because again, nobody judges you. In fact, the people in the entities that are with you when that happens are apparently sympathetic to you, because they realize that you're dope, you know, and that you didn't realize what you were doing. I guess it's one of the ways we learn is to uh, go through that each time. And eventually it gets, you know, becomes part of us. A lot, a lot of religions talk about um, being cognizant of your impact on your neighbor or, right. you Love know, other neighbor. people. Yeah. Well, that's Christianity, obviously. Yeah. You know, Jesus, yeah. uh, I think he he knew what he was talking about, you know. Love sure, it seems neighbor. that way. I mean, yeah. if everybody did that, wouldn't the world be great? Yeah. And, and our life review when we die would be a little bit smoother. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's talk about the light. That's a common feature that you mentioned. I, I hear that a lot. I did see a documentary once where skeptics, which, you know, a lot of the scientific communities are skeptical Absolutely. of near-death experiences. So in the documentary, they, they said what the person's experiencing with this um, light is actually the brain functioning at that time, lack of oxygen or whatever uh, they said, but it's not something that is spiritual. It's something that is actually organic, biological in the brain. Uh, Have you ever heard of that before? I've heard that argument, but there's, uh, yeah, it's true. What you just said is true. There are skeptics who, I guess they want to, you know, hold on to their religion, which is scientific materialism. Nothing exists that uh, except material substance. And so therefore the brain must create consciousness and, uh, you know, there's no such thing as mind for them. Consciousness is some kind of accident that happens when, uh, electrons jump across synapses or something. I mean, I don't know. They don't, scientists cannot and never have and never will explain how the brain creates consciousness because the brain does not create consciousness. The brain is a receiver. So, you know, they even call it the hard problem. It's the hard problem because they can't solve it, and they never will as long as they stay in the box they're in. Yeah. But uh, that idea of the brain creating the light and all this hallucination as it dies, they haven't figured out how that would happen either. In fact, uh just the opposite, you know, when the brain, if indeed the brain creates consciousness, when it dies, there ain't going to be any consciousness. You see what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So how in the world did that person like Pam Reynolds look down at the doctor and what he was doing and, and remember it and tell exactly. all about it? And exactly. what the nurses were saying and, and what the uh, instrument he was using looked like and so on and so forth. I mean, so it, they're just grasping at straws when they come up with that kind of stuff. And that's the way I see it anyway. That's a common feature. A lot of people come back and they say, okay, I can tell you what uh, that doctor was saying at the time, what he was doing. They would go into other rooms. They would see family in the waiting room and all these things. That seems to be... Uh, a common experience. Yeah, I'll tell you another story about that. There's a guy named Bruce Grayson, who was head of the uh, Division of Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia for a number of years, a psychiatrist. And he was a materialist guy when he 
started out as being a doctor at the University of Virginia Hospital. And he uh, had a woman who had died and was revived. And he uh, left her, I guess he, she left her at, in her room where they had put her, went out to talk to her colleagues that were out there. I think it was a friend who was waiting to see what happened. You know, it brought her to the emergency room or whatever. And then he goes back to the woman who has since been revived. And she tells him about the conversation that he just had <laughs> with the friend out in the uh, lobby. And that's what started him on investigating this. And he studied uh, near-death experiences for 20, 30 years. In fact, I think he has a book out now, uh, fairly fairly recently put a book out. He's retired. His name is uh, Bruce Grayson. Grayson spelled G-R-E-Y-S-O-N. So, you know, if you're interested in near-death experiences, you might check his book out. You know, these books that you're mentioning, and we're going to uh, very soon talk about your own books. We'll, I'll put links in the uh, episode description. It sure seems, I'm not sure what your experience is with quantum mechanics and uh, quantum physics. I know you're not, you're, you know, that, that's, that's not what your, what your forte is. And, but I'm sure you, in your interviews and your research, uh, see that what you're talking about and what people's experiences especially about reality and consciousness, brushes up against the science of quantum mechanics. Yeah. Where do you see the similarity? Well, I think it's absolutely uh, not only similar, but it's, you know, what, what's the guy's name, Planck? Planck, yeah, yeah many I years ago. Yeah, I his first name. But he, he described, he was one of the founders of quantum That's right. mechanics, quantum physics. And he said that the reality looks more like a giant dream than anything else. And that to me is what it is. It's yeah. And it's the dream of the infinite mind of the source. We're part of that dream. We're characters of the dream that the source is having. One of the things that I've interviewed a couple of quantum physicists. Oh, you have. Okay. Oh yeah. Um, Basically what they say is what I said earlier, that there is no such thing as matter as we conceive of it. You know, it's it's vibrations, it's energy. All those little particles aren't really particles. They're just, you know, little vibrations and things vibrate at different speeds and, and so on. And it creates what looks like solid stuff. But here I am sitting in this room in my house. I know you wanted me to put my, uh, um, have a direct connect connection to the router, but it's in another room. And also, oh, the Wi-Fi is all coming through these walls, and it's right. all around. <laughs> right. So these walls aren't solid; they're just energy that's vibrating. I get and, it. And uh, I, I think that uh, one one of the quantum physicists that I interviewed compared quantum physics to, I guess it's the is it the Verdas? There are like five different steps, and he related those five steps from. Uh, in quantum physics, how things came out of the unified field to become reality to mm-hmm. what the Hindus uh, call the different steps that created, they think created reality and that they're parallel. For example, quantum physics indicates that observation creates reality. Obs- yes. What, that observation. Yes. And the way that works is the big experiment that demonstrates that is when light goes through two slits, the double, the double slit, slit theory. Yeah. 
So what the uh, that, that's something that's been around for a couple of hundred years. You know, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, where if you shine a light through two slits, you get uh, a wave pattern, a zebra kind of pattern where you know the the crests and the troughs cancel each other out to create a kind of a zebra pattern. If you only shoot it through one slit, it's sort of a round light, you know, because light is waves. Well, light right. is waves until it's observed, <laughs> and then it becomes particles. Because, and the way we know this is that in modern physics, they're able to shoot one proton, which is a, a unit of light, through the slits one at a time. And if you don't measure which slit the proton went through, what you're going to get is a pattern on the screen that is the zebra pattern, like they got 200 years ago when they first did this experience. If they have something that detects which uh, slit a photon went through, in other words, if it's observed which flit, split something goes through, then you get the pattern of little dots on the, on the uh, screen. So what that says is that light is waves until it's observed, and then it becomes particles. So observation, the mind, creates matter. And the thing is, is that that experiment isn't kind of like research on on one time that they did it. This has been repeated over and over, over and over again. And over Same and result. Over and over yep. again, every time, and in lots of different places throughout the world, not just here in the United States. Believe me, I'm I'm no uh, expert in quantum mechanics, so I'm probably probably going to screw this up. But uh, my understanding is that in addition to the double slit theory. Uh, the whole issue of observation is is that when a particle is observed, it can be in one place or the other. Does That's quantum entanglement. Yeah. Ah, where okay. They could be as far apart as opposite ends of the universe, but they work together. And the reason is there really isn't any distance in in the non physical reality. There, it's this. That's a phenomenon. Up, down, uh, sideways, and time are the four dimensions of this reality. But when you leave that reality, it's all we're all part of one mind. And so there's no time to go from one place to another. It's all one thing. So that's the way I understand it anyway. And yeah, observation creates reality. So in effect, that also is true for us as individuals that are the way we view the world is is the way our reality is the reality we create for ourselves. You know, if we think we're a victim, we're gonna be, we're gonna be a victim. I mean, if things are gonna happen to us, that reinforce that. If they if they have a low opinion of themselves, they're gonna attract people who have a low opinion of them. Yes, very true. That's the way life works. And once we realize that, then we can do something about it. It's, it's why we're here, as I said. We're here to uh, overcome uh, problems, and when we overcome them, we will learn something. That's the reason we're here. The most comforting thing for me in these interviews is hearing over and over again that we are of, of one mind. Yes. Um, that we are one. Um, let's talk about your books for, for a moment. Your book, Let Go of Your Ego, Your Best Self is Waiting to Emerge. You yep. talk about letting go of the ego. Explain what that is. Well, I see the ego as a construction that has been built up from birth 
do, as I think we mentioned earlier, to your environment, to the culture you were born into, to the family you were born into and their beliefs, to the schools you went to and what you were taught, to whether you went to church or didn't go to church, and and so on and so forth, that your ego is, the reason it exists is to to keep you alive. I mean, when mm-hmm. we were when we first came out of the uh, came down from the trees and became hunter gatherers, we had to worry about things like you know lions chasing us and eating us. Right, and our ego <laughs> was what helped us do that. We worried about things like that, that it was a good thing. Good but, thing, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or else we wouldn't have, wouldn't be here. But now in the twenty first century. Your ego can get you in a lot of trouble and can hold you back because you have got fears and ideas in there that you don't even realize are there and that they can prevent you from seeing opportunities, from uh, taking a certain course or or direction because uh, you have some fear about that. And so the basic thesis of this book you just mentioned is that you are not your ego. Your ego uh-huh. is a construction that was built up since birth based on where you were born and who you who surrounded you as you grew up. So once you realize that that's not you, the way to, uh, I suggest, one way at least to uh, uh, approach life is when you feel yourself react to something, you have a, you know, something happens and, and it, it's a trigger. There's a moment there between that trigger and what you do about it. And you Mm, need to take uh that time to stop and think, why is this situation triggering me? And maybe you don't figure it out right then, but you can say, okay, this, this triggers me. What happened in my past? What could it possibly be that's buried in my subconscious mind that's causing that? And if you can go back and, you know, you were locked in the closet at two years old, and so you're, you've got uh, claustrophobia, then maybe you can release it. Mm-hmm. And once, mm-hmm. But anyway, even if you don't release it, if you stop at that moment after the trigger, and then you can make an intelligent decision and stop yourself, you could make an intelligent decision about what to do or not to do based on being triggered. Does that make sense to you as it a does. behavioral therapist? Uh, It does. I mean, it speaks to a lot of uh, modalities that we use. We don't say ego, but the process that you're describing is what we encourage people to do. It's interesting how there's a lot of similarities there. I'm not sure if it was in your book or in your bio, but I want to talk about the age of Aquarius. And and you said you're going to sing the song for us, right? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) This is the morning of the age of Aquarius. Exactly. That's what yep. we know. Um, the song and part of the, the 60s culture talked about the age of Aquarius. Uh, I understand that you equate that with not a movement, but a, a shift that we're going through right now. Maybe if you can uh, elaborate yeah, on Yeah, it. I'd be happy to. We are moving, literally, this is not fiction, this is fact. We're moving from the age of Pisces, the fish, to the age of Aquarius, which is the water bearer. And back in the 60s, I, I went to see the Broadway musical Hair. That, right. That's right. where that song exactly. comes from. Exactly. Back then, I was a very young man. <laughs> and uh, 
But anyway, the, the idea is, you know, we're moving from Pisces, the fish, to Aquarius. It's a new age. That's where the whole thing about new age comes from. And I think that it is true that we are right now going through a transitional time from a materialist view of the world to one where we realize that, as you said earlier, all is one. We're all part of this one chisult, this one mind, this one infinite mind that we're, we came from, that we are, and we return to, and that uh, we'll be following Jesus's recommendation to love one another. Because if, mm-hmm. if we do that, we're all going to be a lot happier and get along. So that, anyway, this whole philosophy that I've developed that we've been talking about is going to eventually, and it may take 30 more years or so, going to be very prevalent and change the way the world is. But in the meantime, we're kind of in a period of chaos where oh God, we are. one yes. thing is battling the <laughs> other, and it's, it's, that's what happens when things change. There is this chaos that erupts, and I think that's what we're going through now. And I'm not, this is not an idea that I came up with. Besides the hippies in the 60s, back in the early 1980s, a physicist and a couple other people channeled an entity called Roth, who said he was the yes. same Ra who was in who came to Egypt and showed right. him how to make pyramids and stuff like that. Now the guy with the funny head that looks like a beak on his neck and mm-hmm. nose, mm-hmm. and uh, Ra came through this uh, young lady. I've forgotten her name, and there are actually five books that have been written from those channeling sessions. No kidding. It's called the Law of uh, Law of One, I think. And Ra said that in 2012, which a lot of people thought might be the end of the world because that's when the Mayan calendar ends, 2012, we would pass from being in what Ra called the third density to begin being more like 51% in the well, let's just talk about the densities real quick. Density one is just matter with no life. Density two is matter plus life that's not sentient, like trees and frogs and fish. Density three is all of that plus sentient beings, i.e. human beings who Uh have the ability to step outside ourselves figuratively and talk about things like what's it all about alfie and <laughs> i got that i got that but, that, that <laughs> reference i got that reference yeah yeah well probably a lot of your <laughs> listeners did uh yeah so third density is that fourth density is when we realize that we're all one that we're one mind that is divided up into different characters that are all going to return to to the same place eventually and then five it goes on up to seven densities, and I've forgotten what all the details of each one are, but uh, I think four is more all one, five is working on one plus more knowledge, and six is something else, and seven is when we return to the source. But through all of that, we keep our individual consciousness. So we just evolve. It's a, we're on a scale uh, or a ladder of evolution. And once we get back, we probably start all do it all over again. I don't know. It just goes on. There's no end. It's a naive question, but do we have any idea if we're going into this phase, how long it'll be before we get to that that level? 
Yeah, um, the people that uh, I have uh, who actually looked into this probably more so than I have, I have told me they think it's anywhere from 30 to 100 years. My guess is it won't be that long. It won't be 100 years. It'll be oh. less than so that. So it, it could be in our lifetime for, for a lot of us. Well, if, if you're a young person, it might yeah. be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're out of luck, Stephen. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know. But I'll be, you know, maybe I'll come back. I, I think I need to come back anyway. I'm not certainly not perfect. You know, one of the things that Edgar Casey, some of the people that he uh, gave readings to, he said this was their last lifetime. Uh, I don't think wow. it's mine. I don't, I don't think it's mine either. Uh, your other books, um, Afterlife, The Whole Truth, and you mentioned before we, we jumped into the interview here that uh, your new book has hit number one in, in a category on Amazon. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, my new book is called Death is Fiction, Fear, Illusion, and it is currently number one in, the, in a pretty small category, but it's Death, Grief, and Spirituality. And it is uh, it is the top seller in that category currently. The other book you mentioned, uh, Afterlife, The Whole Truth, is also about life after death and the fact that we're spiritual beings having a human experience. But they each have different evidence and different examples. So either one would be a good place to start. A lot of my clients, and I think a lot of people listening, have some trepidation or absolute terror, fear of dying. And when I, I read your books and, you know, I've come across this subject a couple of times because it's an interest of mine. Uh, it, you know, I'm very curious about it. But there's a lot of people that fear death and it, 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 um, it impacts their life like every day. What would you say to someone that is fearing where they go and what happens when they die based on the knowledge that you have. Well, as the title of my new book says, Fear is Illusion, you get what you believe. If you believe you're a bad person and you're going to hell, you will probably have a hell-like experience. It won't last for eternity once you figure out that all you have to do is change your thinking. My understanding is from the near-death experiences, people I've talked to have had them, what I've read is that when death is inevitable, when it looks inevitable, you pop out and you're you're not going to feel a whole lot of pain. Mm, and uh-huh. what you need to do is look for the light. A lot of people who are materialists think that death is the end, that their brain is uh, like a computer and that when the plug is pulled, that's it. Blackness, nothing. That's not what happens. You know, there are hauntings. There are houses that have haunted spirits in them. And it's because those people didn't either don't know they're dead or they don't believe or know what they could do about it. So look for the light, go to the light, go ahead and get it, get your life review over with. And, and then, uh, you know, it's most of the people I've talked to have had near death experiences thought that was really great and they didn't want to come back. So eventually maybe you'll get bored and want to come back and do it, do it again. But it's not something to fear. It's just part of life. And we're, we're only here temporarily. It's, a sh- it's incredible to me how short a time it is, as I, the older I get, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's all part of life, you know, life, the circle of life. What is that thing with the, 
The Lion King. Lion King, yeah, the circle of life. Let me say one more thing. I have a, uh, in that book, Let Go Your Ego, uh, there's a link to a page on my website that doesn't, that you can't get to except with the link. In other words, it's not in the menu. That has two hypnotic kind of meditations on it that okay. are both there to help you get rid of fear. There And they're, you know, I, there are six basic fears that those, at least the first one addresses, which is uh, fear of uh, failure, fear of old age, fear of death, fear of illness. Those kind of fears, the problem, if you have them, is that you attract to yourself what you fear and what you think about. Those tapes are meant to help you do that, those recordings. I, I appreciate that you shared your experience because you did radio for a while. You did a radio show and you have years and years of experience interviewing people and, you know, getting, you know, their take on things and their research. So yep. uh, it, it's so nice to spend some time with you and explore these things that I have to admit that uh, there is something to this whole age of Aquarius it sure seems talking with people about subjects like this, that we are, you know, we're evolving into something. But I got to agree that right now we're in that, that state of chaos for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think so, too. I, I feel it happening. And I see it happening over the last, you know, 20 years I've been doing this, more than 20 years, really. Uh, big, big changes. Uh, 25 years ago, if I published a book like the one that we were talking about, Death is Fiction, I'd have had all these one-star reviews from all these materialists who just, they're just, mind, their minds are closed. But now, it's not the case. I think the listeners would be very interested in in checking out uh, your book and that link that you talked about. So, in the episode description, I'll, I'll have um, links to your website as well as how to find right, your books right. on, on Amazon. Stephen, thank you so much for spending the, this time with us today. I know you do a lot of interviews and a lot of podcasts, so I appreciate the time that you've uh, you spent with us. All right. Thanks for having me, Greg. I enjoyed it. Steve Martin, Steve our Martin. guest. Yes. Yeah, not the comic, obviously, but no. <laughs> Steve Martin. And... Uh, about near-death experiences mm-hmm. and uh, the afterlife. The afterlife. As he yeah. said, you know, our, our understanding is, is, uh, is, is much different than the reality of where we go and what happens. These experiences that people have, I mean, you can't deny that they really do believe in what they see and they, they hover over the operating table and they can tell exactly what the doctors were doing and... People talk about the white light. I mean, there's a common thread through all these stories, eh? You can't but, deny it. But, but as you said, like growing up, um, you know, we were always said uh, we were always taught to do well, so that way we could go to heaven, right? <laughs> when when our time came. And I, I so uh, far, and, and based on what he was saying, I haven't come across anybody that said, okay, this is what heaven is like, right? Yeah. No offense to people yeah. listening, you know, their religious beliefs. Uh, that that's totally yeah. fine, but it, it looks like it's it's kind of a subjective experience. So maybe maybe if you really really do believe that you go to heaven, then these mm-hmm. experiences that he's talking about, maybe that's what you you see. Could be. I'll have to wait to get there, <laughs> and then then I'll let you know all about it. <laughs> now who's to say you're going to heaven? No, no, I won't get it. I, uh, I won't, I won't, yeah, I won't yeah. get into no. that. 
I won't no, tease no, you about all. that. No, no. I if anybody goes to heaven, Rob Reefert will be going to heaven. Thanks. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, it's pretty trippy stuff, fo- though. It's pretty trippy. Oh, it it, it really is. It, it was one of those interviews. I'm not going to say it opened up my eyes, but I'm I'm going. What do I really think about all this? Yeah, it, like do you, it, like do you it, buy it? it? Do do you buy into it? Yeah. Do I buy into it? Uh, and I then all of a sudden I get thinking. Okay, what is the afterlife going to be if there is such a thing? So it, it made me uh, it made me open up and start questioning stuff as I get closer to the end. <laughs> the old the old man you're, that you're I am. Far, you're far from the end. <laughs> okay. But uh, I didn't mention it at the, at the beginning. But I'm interested now that the reason I wanted to talk with someone that knew about this stuff is because uh, um, when I was doing the research for Dr. Singh's episode about psychedelics, a lot of people are in, when they are in uh, a fourth stage cancer, uh, yes. they have a, a, a tremendous fear of, of dying. And mm-hmm. that was the catalyst, you know, to talk with someone like Stephen. I found that in, in my research, there's quite a few people that had intense fear of dying, they used psychedelics like uh, psilocybin, and through their psychedelic experience, they had a positive result, much like these people, and they no longer have the fear of dying. So I saw this interesting connection between these stories that we're hearing about people using psychedelics and coming back and saying, this, I mean, we're all connected and there's this universal consciousness. And I'm thinking, Wow, this kind of sounds like near death experiences. So that's the reason I brought I brought Stephen in. There's something going on, Rob. There is uh, an age of Aquarius, like uh, Steve was talking about. <laughs> what did you think about when well, he said an age of Aquarius? I was li- I got thinking of the, what's the band's name? The Fifth Dimension. The Fifth Dimension. Yeah. Yes, uh, this is the age of Aquarius. Yeah, yes. He he he. You know, he sang part of it. He wasn't he wasn't too bad, but. Um, yeah, I, that, I, I got to admit that part's really kind of, uh, hard to kind of get my head around. We can talk more about this, uh, next week and, and keep talking, but you can't deny that, um, these people believe what they believe. Yeah. He's obviously interviewed tons and tons of people about this topic. A great and, source. And, sure. and, and, and we thought he would be a great source to go to. So again, yeah. Uh, Steve Martin, our guest on the show today. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Well, folks, I hope you're downloading our episodes. Please, please, please. Uh, and liking. And liking, yes. Uh, and subscribing. And subscribing. I hope they're doing that. You know, if they if they like this episode and they got a lot out of it, then uh, they can uh, do a review. They can give us five stars and uh, review us on the platform that they're using. Mind Body Matters is a great media podcast. We'll be back next week. Rob and I is going to be little bit. <laughs> Jesus. Or they can review us on the platform that they're using. Mind Body Matters is a grape media podcast. We'll be back next week. Meanwhile, be kind to yourself. And most importantly, be well. But you're cracking up. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And if there's a topic that you'd like to hear about, Drop us a line at mb-matters.com. Be sure to like and follow us on all our socials. And if you like what you hear, hit subscribe or follow and share with your friends.